Here we go. Your crossfade assignment from Matt Elgison. What do we got? I'm so scared. Oh man, yes! This is gonna be good. This is gonna be really good. We got Good Kid Mad City. That's a good one. Not my favorite Kendrick album, but a fun one. Especially for like a classic hip-hop storytelling. I was really debating picking a hip-hop album. And if I did, it would have been Tomato Butterfly. So I think that, man, we were so close to having a Kendrick Lamar episode. But this is still going to be very fun. And I think it's marrying two genres that are very close to me. Um, I'm excited about this. This gives me a reason to go back to that album. Um, Yeah. All right. This is going to be a good episode. Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined by co-host and producer Jason Daphnis. Hey, Jason. Co-host and producer. Wow. You Thank you so much for having me. Exactly. I'm, I'm giving everyone, like, raises <laughs> You're just feeling generous now? On behalf now? of Ben, yes. Um, <laughs> and we're super excited to um, not only uh, welcome a new guest to the program, also uh, one of the newest members of the MinMax cohort. Uh, Janet Garcia. Welcome, Janet. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We're very excited to have you. How's uh, how's the MinMax experience been so far for you? It's been fun. It's nice to get to do content that's a lot longer form. Uh, I'm used to, you know, having come from IGN, like everything's very tight at a one hour, but something that's more a little bit more casual, but still hitting all the same beats is really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's been it's been great to have you on. Obviously, if uh, you are curious about MinMax and, and Janet and Ben and everyone, what they're producing over there, please go to patreon.com slash MinMax. Um, Janet mentioned that she uh, had worked for IGN for a time. She's done a ton of uh, freelancing, uh, does YouTube, Twitch, you know, Twitter, Patreon, uh, Gaming for the Culture, a, a gaming blog that, that she has. Um, and you can check everything out. Probably the best way is Linktree uh, slash we we debated this pre-show, but I'm going to say Gameonisis, like Dionysus, but you said there it could be Gameonisis? Yeah, Gameonisis is how I do it. Okay, Gameonisis, G-A-M-E-O-N-Y-S-U-S, and that's basically your handle for everything, Twitter and, and everything, right? Yep, literally everywhere. Uh, I think LinkedIn as well, if you want to look me up on LinkedIn, Indeed. don't, because it's so out of date, <laughs> but... <laughs> LinkedIn is our, that's really the most popular. It's where it's hot in the streets right for, now. That's where the people, gamers, yeah. the real conversations are happening on LinkedIn, y'all. <laughs> Come through. Yes, I love, I love it. You know, like 20 things you didn't know about HR. I love that stuff. Um, so we are here uh, and we're going to first start off uh, with Janet's pick. And this is just funny. I, I feel like I should have picked this, but because I'm a middle-aged dad, but <laughs> but I feel like Don't I should have picked the, the other album way, because I'm who I, I know. am. <laughs> I know. I think that it's. I think we're doing a little like Freaky Friday thing here. Um, but uh, it's Foo Fighters for Your Honor. Their uh, 2005 double album. Obviously, uh, you know they're maybe the biggest band on earth, or one of them for a long time. Dave Grohl, obviously formerly of Nirvana as well, so he's had a long career in the music business. And uh, this one was not one that I was familiar with. Um, I think that I don't know, the last one I got was like one-on-one or one-by-one, whatever that yeah. one was. I think the one before this, which is also a good one. Um, so this was cool. Um, why don't we uh, – let's let's uh, start it off. I think that the uh, the first song on this album uh, is really good. And I, I love I love when bands – and I looked this up today, actually. I looked at old set lists. I love it when a band kind of like – I think they write a song where like 
this is going to be the first song we play like on the, the upcoming tour. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. like get everyone like super hyped and everything. Um, so yeah, the, the, the first song in this, um, I mean, it just kicks off this album. It's, it's just awesome. Um, so let, let's hear a little bit of it. There's so much like anticipation here. Yeah, totally. And I bet like the lights could be like off, kind of half off in the stadium. Waiting for the drop. And then yeah. you hit the floodlights. You know, like the floodlights when they, you can see the whole crowd. Maybe some, like, pyro. Yeah, it's like a very communal song. Also, this is a really great, um, and this is a guy that I think frequently kind of shines. It's one of the reasons I think like they're a good band is uh, Taylor Hawkins. The drummer is like, I mean, an amazing drummer, and like he's all over this this song. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which is wild when you think of like Dave Grohl's background as a drummer, but they yeah, also I mean, have like, another good drummer. <laughs> yeah, he's like one of the best drummers in the world, and like he chooses this guy to be his drummer, so that probably says enough. Have you seen Foo Fighters in concert? Oh, I have, yes. I went to um, their... I think I only saw them once. And it was at Lollapalooza when they had, the year they headlined. And oh, okay. it was pouring rain. So there's like no footage, like no professional footage of it. Um, and it was, it was amazing. It was definitely like on that level of like a spiritual experience, which I feel like this album is very like religious a little bit in undertones like it draws in a lot of like spiritual language and communal language and those kind of vibes yeah definitely and it's yeah i mean they're just a very whoa sorry <laughs> sorry i should have warned you the, the hoedown was coming oh yeah that's like my yeah, favorite part so of that album it is 10 seconds straight of him just screaming but it it's like such a cleaner scream than you know you're used to seeing in like other genres um it's so shocking and awesome. I love it so much. Yeah, they're really going in right now. I love that right there. And then, yeah, the, I like the tight ending to a song like that, too, where they don't go overboard. They just, like, stop it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. I, I guess I wanted to back up a little bit and just ask you about, you know, your relationship with this album uh, and maybe the Foo Fighters in general and, and why uh, I don't why you chose it, why, why it's important to you. Yeah, um, just to kind of zoom out with 
uh, the relationship in general, I was an avid hip hop head and still to a degree am, but from existing until like eighth grade, I was like just really heavy into hip hop. I listened to nothing else uh, other than that, and, you know, R&B. Um, so Foo Fighters was the first rock album that I liked. Like their music was the first rock music I liked. And I started out with Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. And I remember like hearing that album, which is, you know, I debated which which of their albums I would pick and I ultimately landed on this one. But that one was my introduction into them and their work. And I remember listening to that like in my basement, like by myself, because my brother like wasn't into rock at all either. Uh, he was older than me and kind of, you know, I, I did a lot of things he did because I looked up to him and, you know, we hung out all the time. So I'm like, oh, Edwin's going to think this is stupid, you know, me liking rock. So I like very much had it as my own little thing. Uh, like me and like this one other kid from my school who was a, a big fan. So that's just kind of how I got into it. And then, you know, in high school, I listened to a lot more rock and my brother got into rock as well. And I went to a lot of concerts during that time. And yeah, Foo Fighters, uh, what can I say? They don't miss. I mean, pretty much all their albums are fantastic. Uh, and what I love about their music, I think, is it's a great combination of instrumentation, but also really enjoyable, catchy lyrics. Um, they have a lot of just like banger tracks that really end up being ballads, classics. Uh, when you look at their like top hits on Spotify, for instance, even, you know, a lot of times when you look at that for an artist, it's sort of a mixed bag of, oh, this is stuff that's popular, but it's not that good. Like their popular stuff is some of their best stuff. Like, and that's so rare for any artist to have. Um, and I think with this album specifically, one thing I really love about it is that it's a good double disc. There are almost no good double discs. Yeah. I, you know, I, I guess when I first usually I start listening to albums for the show, I tend to at first, I just, I don't want to like really scrutinize them. I kind of want to just have them hit me. Like I listen to anything. So I usually like I'm walking the dog lots of times and like listening. And so I was actually, I went through this whole. And there's the dog now. Chummy. Wow, on Oscar dude. Speak of the devil. What's your wow, history with food fighters like, Oscar? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but you know, I sort of wait, I was like thinking, I was like, man, this album is, it's like really relentless. I, they sh- they could really pace this out with a few ballads or something, <laughs> you know, like during the electric half. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like the, the second part came on. And of course, I didn't really realize the two CD thing. So I was just kind of listening. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. They're kind of slowing it down. And then I'm like, wow, they're really slowing it down. And then I, I finally looked and I'm like, oh, it's kind of like, it's basically, I feel like this is almost two albums to me in a sense. It yes. feels like kind of two combined or related albums more than, I guess, you know, a lot of double albums kind of, you feel like it's the whole kind of. Uh, front to back experience where this I, I feel like it's kind of two sides of the the same coin and I, which is really cool because I mean you know especially when when format was still more important probably like even still when you you know oh five you know CDs were still more of a thing and I kind of like that you could maybe like match your mood and just like put put in which, whichever side kind of you know was kind of your vibe that day yeah and that's that's a lot of how I listen to this album because uh, you know I I mentioned before I started recording like my personal background of going to school in small town Iowa and being from Chicago. Um, and this is a very Midwest album. I mean, rock is very like, you know, a little bit in that vein. And there's a lot of, you know, like I said, religious themes here, um, communal themes. Also, like, it feels very American. I mean, even the art is very it's like it's like the most American album cover <laughs> I've seen outside of like country music. Um, but for me, this album sticks out personally because I used to listen to it like crazy when I was in college because I am a distance runner. Um, the farthest I've ever ran was 15 miles. I've done like two wow. or three half marathons at this point. Um, so when you're 
when you're doing that, you're out running for a long time, you know, at least get a one to two plus hours. And this is an album I would go to constantly for my long runs. And I would start with disc two, the lighter disc, and then I'd go up to disc one. So that way I'd have like a calm pace in the beginning. And then I could like really kick up the energy in that second leg when I was getting more tired. So I listened to this so much while doing a lot of things that are mentioned in the album of just kind of being out in nature and just losing yourself and kind of getting in this weird headspace so i have like such a strong connection with it for all of those years of just running and constantly putting this on yeah i mean definitely it's 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 energetic for sure and um we should you mentioned you know that you know they have they have a lot of hits really at this point but um you know you mentioned their top kind of spotify another one we should get to which i think is one of the standouts it's also probably i mean it's up there with the foo fighter songs i think that even somebody that doesn't really follow them would probably be familiar with. Um, it's called Best of You. And this, I think, you know, shows they're really good at kind of the big kind of like epic, you know, an- anthemic kind of gesture. And, and I think this is kind of a indicative of their strength in that area. I've got another confession to I think the questions serve this really well too because it just makes it so personal. It like really brings it to the listener. Yeah. I just feel in general that like I think one of the things I like about them is that they they seem very attuned to like the live experience, I mm-hmm. think, as songwriters. You know, I always kind of feel like on a lot of the stuff, they kind of have it, like, in mind, like, how it's going to go over in a concert setting. You know, and they're not just, like, writing songs. They're kind of... I feel like they have ideas about how it would fit into, like, a set, you know, which I think is kind of interesting. You know, because they are an arena band, and not many bands really get to that level. But I think at that point, you kind of have to, like, think about things a little differently. Like, this is really designed to, like, get a, you know, a football stadium, like, going, you know, not a club. Yeah, absolutely. Do either of you remember when part of this song became, like, a minor meme? Oh, yes. <laughs> a lot of their music got memed a little bit. <laughs> okay. You want, you want to run through it for him, Janet? Because I... <sighs> It's like I, a, this is the only way I knew Foo Fighters before. Yeah, this. <laughs> um, well, I'd like to hear, especially if you've only known it through the memes, what what your perspective is. But for me, it was like there would be like maybe wordplay type memes with it, or just like the repetition of it, or just like only pulling out the best. Like I remember someone sending me a YouTube link of this song, but it was just the best, mm-hmm. the best, the best over and over for like you know thirty minutes. Um, so it's a lot of stuff like that. Or <laughs> I remember another Foo Fighters meme that I know, not from this album, but. Like something like one of these things is not like the otter, and it's like a bunch of otters, like stuff, weird stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, my my only exposure, well, knowing exposure to Foo Fighters was, I think maybe that same video where it's just like Dave Grohl's head sort of bouncing around the frame, and he's got his like very tight, strained face of of singing, 
and it's just like saying that one line like isolated over and over the best the best i don't know why it's just stuck in my head since like i don't know 2005 or whenever i first heard that just like it's unfortunate that that's how i that's how i learned i mean it's a solid phrase i mean he says it over 40 times in the song. Oh wow! Really? Have you counted? <laughs> no, well, no. I went on a Genius, which I often frequent for. Uh-huh. If I'm thinking of songs more, and I just did a search of the word "best," and it comes up like 48 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen him twice live, and funnily, uh, funnily enough, both times at E3 parties, I've seen him. So. Oh, that's so weird! I really? would be so excited. That'd be so cool. I mean, they were a great band for an E3 party. You know what I mean? Because it was just like. They're just really high energy and really fun, and you know I, they they always went over really well. And he's you know he's kind of funny with like stage banter and kind of interacting with the crowd, especially at like an industry kind of thing. So they were they were both times really excellent. You know they weren't like maybe full on like two and a half hour shows, probably more like an hour or so, but like really good. That's such a combination that I would like live for. Um, I would love to yeah, see them live again too. I bet they'll be touring soon. Um, so as we kind of move through the, the first kind of the electric side, is there, what else did you want to kind of, some of the highlights of this side for you? Uh, I would say for me, um, oh man, I got so many of them. Uh, I do like the next song in the sense that it's a very dancey song. I feel like Foo Fighters randomly will have these songs that feel like they don't necessarily fit with the rest of the album or even with what they do in general, but they make them work and they have a lot of fun with them. Um, yeah. And then there's, uh, so- yeah, what's up? DOA? DOA? Yeah, DOA. Yeah, you can just okay, do cool. DOA. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little cheeky. It's like a, a, it's a lot of the same themes as the other songs about like, you know, it's me against this internal struggle and like, you know, I'm overcoming, but it, it feels a little bit more playful than the rest of the stuff that's on this disc. Yeah, it's got a little kind of funkier guitar riff. So I'm curious, Janet, you, you talked about kind of having grown up in more of a hip-hop kind of environment with, like, you know, your brother and yourself. How, uh, how did you... I guess, how did you get exposed to Foo Fighters or what, you know, what was it about them in particular? It sounded like you weren't super into rock music at the time when you heard this. Yeah, it was a combination of um, a kid in my eighth grade class, like the only like rocker that was there, who was like very visibly rocker, even though we had school uniforms, which is hard to do. Like, you know, had the Converse, had the floopy, straight hair, the wristband, like, you know, all the, all the trappings of what a middle schooler would look like if they had to wear uniform and were into rock music. Um, and they had mentioned, I think, Foo Fighters to me, if I'm remembering correctly. But the other reason that I got into it, or how I even listened to that, because this was not pre-internet, because the internet did exist, but it was dial-up, and you had to ask, you know, my parents to turn it on. It was a whole thing. So I got into it from uh, looking at on-demand music. If you all remember that, if you had, like, Comcast On Demand, they had a music section. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Way yeah. at the end, like, in the 800s and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was something like that, yeah. There was, like, a little special channels. You could do the same for movies and, and videos and stuff. And they had um, a music one, and that's where I heard The Pretender for the first time. And I watched that music video over and over again. You know, I'm a kid. I have nothing else going on. So I just kept watching the music video in my basement. And, you know, my basement was very music set up, too. Like, we had this big 
um, like stereo, and it had, I remember it having like a disc changer where you could have put up to six discs in it, you know? Um, so there was definitely a vibe down there, and I would just like sit in like what was essentially my dad's man cave basement and watch that music video, which was a, a very minimalist one, too, and it really focused on like the instruments, and I think something about the the excitement and the, and the rhythm just drew me in. I was into it. So then that, that kind of was a springboard into like other rock music. You kind of went into that sort of a phase after that. Yeah, basically. I imagine, too, um, my brother's girlfriend may have had an influence on his own interest because she was really into uh, rock music. Specifically, she was at the time really into like screamo and like really intense stuff. So, uh, you know, he hung out with her and I'm sure that probably had an influence, too, and that seeped in. So then I went to high school with a, a completely different demographic of people, too. I, I grew up Southside Chicago. My elementary school was like 90 plus percent Hispanic, uh, with the rest of the percentage being black students and like a very, very small percentage of like any other ethnicity. Then I went to high school where it was like 30 percent of the population was white, and then you know, the rest of it was kind of intermixed and everything. So I, I was just around a, a lot of different people from a lot of different neighborhoods who listened to a lot of different music, and I got really into. Um, what was the next wave of really popular music, indie rock. So I listened to like a lot of indie rock kind of after my Foo Fighter phase and dipped into some other, you know, random things here. MCR, Radiohead, Coldplay. Like I kind of ran the gambit on rock music after that. Um, yeah. That's cool. It's interesting how those things kind of evolve, you know, depending on, I guess, just chance to a certain degree in our lives, you know, like what, who we're around and what situations you know, we find ourselves in. Yeah, um, and I it's funny cause that you mentioned, you're like, oh, you know, I should have picked this this album as, like, the the, the dad, right? It's like, <laughs> totally, it is yeah, weird yeah. that um, <laughs> music is so can be so ageless. I mean, obviously, there are things that come out now um, versus, like, you know, stuff that's popular later or that comes back into vogue. But it is weird how, like, there'll be certain albums where I'm like, oh, yeah, I listened to this a bunch in high school. And then people will be like, wait, are you, like, secretly a lot older than it's like why was i like you know this is one of my favorite (laughs) albums it came out when i was in fifth grade and i wasn't listening to it in fifth grade but you know like i spent most of my high school years listening to you know the strokes and mcr and radiohead and nirvana like i was one of those kids that got into nirvana heavy when i was in high school but if i say i i spent high school listening to nirvana it makes me seem like i'm much older than i am (laughs) (laughs) yes i uh yeah I am much older, and I, so I guess I kind of got into him as like an extension of Nirvana, you know. So it's kind of in a weird way. I always forget that, like, I still think of him as an outgrowth of Nirvana, but I have to realize, like, I see you know just younger kids and stuff, like even pretty young kids. I saw one in a Foo Fighters like hood or a stocking cap on the bus one time, like last year. But you know, they, they've been around for a super long time, and I don't. I think probably a lot of their fans don't even really connect those dots that well. Like they just think of the Foo Fighters as their own entity, which is kind of, I mean, a testament to, I guess, how successful, you know, that Grohl and everyone has been. Um, and, and just, you know, I, I was also impressed. I wanted, I wanted to listen to hell um, because I thought this had some inter- really interesting guitar work. And um, one thing listening to this, uh, cause I, I was more familiar with the early stuff is like, I forget that they've just been abandoned. They've toured so much. Like, I, you know, he was a solid guitar player, I think, at first, but I kind of forget that, like, wow, he's been doing this a long time now, and he's he's become, like, a really, you know, interesting, good guitar player. And him and Pat Smear, shout out to Pat Smear, the uh, punk legend from the Germs, who's who Dave kind of put on. Um, but let's listen to Hell, because I think this has really cool guitar work, especially in the verse. This stage, I'm mad. 
I love that almost kind of like sitar-y kind of sounding guitar. Yeah, for sure. This is also probably one of the kindest ways to tell someone to go to hell or to join them in hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you almost forget that it's, like, there's so much darkness in this album, like, with, like, specially, specifically this disc with death and, like, weird body horror imagery, but it all kind of just blends into, like, the rhythm of everything or, like, the overall tone of stuff that you kind of forget that it's super dark. <laughs> Yes, I definitely, I mean, yeah, I think Death and uh, later on I want to talk about a specific song as well, but it's, it's, you can tell there's some themes there. Yeah, I think the guitar work on this like, is really cool. Um, is, it, uh, is it octaves that give it that serpentine, like, sitar sound? Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's, but maybe it's just the melody. It feels kind of Beatles-y almost or something, the way they used to do this kind of like... <laughs> He's a good drummer. They're really just showing off here. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, they are. I notice <laughs> they do that at the end of tracks a lot. I mean, if you can do it, you know, why not? Um, any uh, what, what's anything else? I, we got, I know we got to get into the the sort of the acoustic half of this as well, but I didn't want to. I want to make sure if there's anything else on this this kind of half of the album that you wanted to check out before we move on. I think I'm good moving on to the the lighter side because I do think some of the later tracks in disc one start to dip us in that way anyway. So I think we could just jump to disc two. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I I think the first disc is good. It, it probably it, it's it's very just because it is all kind of up tempo mostly electric songs. It does they tend to maybe run together a little bit at the end. Um, but you know, overall, it's like it's super powerful. Um, I think just you know like arena rock songs you know um so let's let's go on out where do you want to start on 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 the second uh cd which is you know kind of it's interesting it's it's such a completely different experience and and honestly i i you know they've done some slower songs but i wasn't really familiar with anything that they'd done that was sort of like this acoustic especially like a whole essentially a whole acoustic album basically so um i don't know and if you want to just talk about you know this side you know it's almost a different album so maybe you have some different kind of memories and experiences with this side yeah um i think we could kick it off with what if i do which is track two um but yeah this out this this side's really interesting uh and that's just so different than what came before there's like a lot of lullaby energy in this disc (laughs) yeah this was a one that i had sort of in my notes as well as a, a sort of a standout There's a lot of water imagery in this disc as well. Yes. Yes. 
But on the re-listen to this, I'm like, is this a Christian rock album? Like a little bit? <laughs> like <laughs> it definitely know. has some of that energy, right? It is. It is produced. You got to yeah, You got to be careful. Well, Christian rock. They well try to sneak it in, in on you. They try to always sneak it in. I'm on like, you. wait a minute. So to someone that you know, I was raised Catholic. Which uh, the next album I listen to is also there's Christianity often cuts across yes, a lot of things. Definitely, yeah. For very, very, I mean, explicitly like prayer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you two. This is you know, I think. U2 has some definite Christian kind of overtones. Yeah. So maybe they get it from them. Um, oh, Jason, I did want to skip on this one uh, to 258. There's sort of a bridge into a guitar solo. And um, this is sort of an overall observation, but I like the fact that they, they do write bridges to their songs. Um, so it's not just like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Usually they usually have like sort of a third and fourth part that, uh, I don't know, I just always think that's a good way to break up a regular kind of like rock song. Mm. But yeah, All right, it. here it comes. Yeah, I really like this part. I love this kind of almost country-ish kind of break. Yeah, this is definitely, like, this whole disc gives me sitting on the porch and drinking, like, a black coffee with, like, you bust out the guitar, there's, like, a fire. Like, it has that energy to it. Yeah, like, to hang out at a cabin or something with this would be good. I wanted to, uh, what was the one that had really, uh, oh, On the Mend. Yes, sorry. Um, I think this is a cool one and it has some really cool acoustic kind of guitar work. I just think there's a lot of really good, um, yeah, really good acoustic playing on this this album in general. Um, Another thing, too, that I think is worth noting just about Taylor Hawkins in general is, like, he's a really good drummer, and especially in the sense that I think, like, even on a song like this, he just he just has a very good, solid sense of the groove without being kind of boring, um, even though he's not, like, you know, it's, it's way more flashy when he's doing the all-over-the-place stuff on the acoustic stuff, or the electric stuff, but I think he, he just plays very, like, tastefully and just, you know, kind of within the framework of the song. On this side, um, I think overall he's, you know, he can just pretty much do it all. Yeah, sometimes some of the simpler stuff is hard to execute because it's so repetitive that any type of deviation is going to really stick out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this one has kind of a dreamy feel that I like. Yeah, I think that's a really good word for it. There's a lot of like, almost like a accepting of disappearing feeling to this uh, this disc. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I feel like in some ways, like this is sort of the more embracing, welcoming side of what we saw in the first disc, which was very like rebellious and bitter and angry. And this is just kind of like, hey, this is what we're going into. We'll see where it leads. It, it's kind of like an it is what it is, but not in a sad way. Yeah. Jason, how close are we to 340? We're about a minute out. You want me to okay. jump? Yeah. There's some cool acoustic work there, too. Yeah, I like this part a lot. Like, honestly, this kind of almost reminds me of, like, Grateful Dead a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you took the production value back by, like, 40 years, this could be a, a dead track. <laughs> Ooh, Jason, don't mess with deadheads. Watch it. Watch yourself. <laughs> a dangerous territory. What are they yeah, going to do? Just imagine Smoke this was, like, death? you know, 25 minutes. <laughs> no, this... What got me about this solo is that, um, like, this could... This sounds like it could be an electric solo in one of their harder songs. Like, the compositional tendency is the same between these two albums to me. Mm. Um, What were some of your other... uh, I want to make sure we hit some of your highlights of this side. So what would you like to hear, Janet? Uh, Yeah, I think I'm going to go for um, another round. Yeah, I like that just like really strong intro strum to it. This is another big, like, nature-y one, too. Oh, yeah. In listening to this, um, you know, both halves of this record, do you find yourself skipping around a lot, or is there a back-to-front listen for you? Oh, it's, a, it's like, almost always a back-to-front. Because, again, I would listen to this when I was, like, running, so I'm like, we're just going to let it ride, and we're going to go through the whole way. Um, I will say, nice. you know, I do still have favorites or things that I, like, often skip, um, like, in some of them, but... Yeah, usually I'm doing a back to front on this, but I do disc two before disc one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go another round. I will follow you down. We could just lay around. I think the only song I consistently skip on this album is Friend of a Friend. <laughs> Oh really? Because I wanted that? to talk about. Oh that no, one. we totally can. I think it's interesting, yeah. but I'll look, I can explain <laughs> no, why can about I yeah, why well, I feel yeah. that way about it when we if we get, if we want to get there. But yeah, yeah. Well, you want to jump? I mean, you want to jump well, to it? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's yeah. Let's, yeah. Well, I, I, see, I had no reference at all for this album, so I was kind of listening to it, and um, it just started to hit me as like, oh wow, like he's like this is about Kurt Cobain, you know. Mm. And and which is something that I don't think he's ever really addressed, you know, musically mm. or, uh, before this. 
Um, but yeah, we let, and it's kind of interesting because it's like not only is it I could, like lyrically it's about him, but also like I almost feel like he's kind of like intentionally using some Nirvana isms a little bit, like in terms of how Co- Co- Cobain kind of wrote songs and and his like mm-hmm. melodic kind of sensibility. Um, so yeah, I I don't know like. I'm trying to think if I like it or I was just sort of pleased with myself for noticing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but let's hear it because it's definitely it, it, it. To me, there's like certain like very distinctive Nirvana things about about friend of a friend. Like even that like kind of descending little oh, kind of thing is very like something in the weird yeah, by for Nirvana. Sure. Yeah. It does feel very reminiscent of like their unplugged set specifically. Yes. With the lock to keep him in, it's just a quiet And Cobain often sang sort of like third person, like he and she stuff. And he's there. He plays an old guitar with the corn found by the phone. Was his friend's guitar that he played? Mm-hmm. I think for me, the reason I skipped this, which sounds so sounds so negative, but is um, it, it's interesting in that it's like a very direct story, unlike a lot of the other tracks, but. I feel mm-hmm. like it's a story that doesn't really go a lot of places, which you can argue, you know, it doesn't really need to. And I think some of what goes down in verse three is very like telling, but it just it's it's very slow. It's like very drawn out, and then I feel like it doesn't like fully develop. So then I'm like, I- I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's sort of just like a little fractured kind of references to him. I think more than a like story. But yeah, I think part of it is he sees like, I think he almost is like a little bit too much trying to like be Nirvana-ish, which is something to his credit, I think he's avoided with the Mm -hmm. Foo Fighters overall, you know what I mean? Which, because that's just a losing kind of proposition to try to like match up against something that's so kind of legendary, I guess, at this point. Um, I think they did, I think they did develop their own, you know, sensibility and their own style. And so this maybe, you know, it definitely... I could tell he was kind of aping like Kurt's kind of thing, and even like the mumbling kind of stuff here. Which he, but he just doesn't quite have the same kind of voice for it. I don't think. Yeah, but you can just see him playing this in an old cardigan, you know, like. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, I do like the verse. Uh, verse three on the. I think the alcoholism reference is really powerful. Um, yes. Yeah. And definitely the highlight of the track. Yeah. Um, I what was one that I, I you had in, on your list I didn't have on mine but then I, I listened to it again today and I was like we should talk about that oh uh, uh, is it Virginia Moon yeah let's do it so yeah I like this one it's because it's such a little well it's kind of a stylistic thing but I think in a good way you know it's sort of like unexpected um, just the vibe of it I would have never expected on a, a Foo Fighters record yeah I feel like they do that a lot too which I really like from them as like a band. Yeah, it's like it's almost a, like a bossa nova in the beginning. So that girl from Ipanema goes. Yes. <laughs> um, and I was digging into like the background on this because like I wasn't really familiar, and I saw that Nora Jones features on this track. You 
Oh, that makes a lot of sense. She, yeah, she collaborated on the piano and vocals, and I was like reading off it off of Genius, um, and it said that like I don't know if this is sourced correctly, but it said that she was really excited. She's like, "Oh, I can." When they called me up, I was like, oh, "I'm ready to rock," and then I didn't rock at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she's like, "Oh, I don't get to break out of my zone." But I like the um, the doubled vocals are really nice. It it adds again kind of that dreamy element you brought up before and it also makes it like it's sort of soft and sexy at the same time which i think is really interesting and has it stand out against the other tracks on this record yeah i love i mean i love the feel of it and i always kind of like it i mean just haven't been in bands and sometimes you sort of like you have some riff and you're like oh that's really good but it's really not like not us but then it kind of hangs around because you sort of all like it and then you know maybe sometimes it survives and i always kind of like when you know you can tell like he was probably just messing with something on an acoustic guitar. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, you can kind of see the germ of the idea. Um, it's a really pretty track, which you don't, get from a rock band very often especially not one that like you mentioned does a lot of arena rock songs yeah it's just a, it's a it's a really nice little song um It's just so it's like classic kind of like standards kind of pop songwriting, you know, it was just interesting. But I suppose that's what Nora Jones kind of does. And, and really like uh, on a lot of the songs, I'm just impressed by the acoustic guitar playing on this. I think there's a lot of really nice, nice playing. Um, yeah. Actually, the next one I want to listen to actually is the razor which i think um it's kind of a simple song but i I really like the guitar work on it a lot um it's i I love kind of finger style playing and i think this is a great example of that yeah i also always get a kick out of what the first and last track on a record is oh just like the choices that went into it yeah like what is the how are you tonally like ending something or starting something it did kind of bother me on the first disc that they have a song called The Last Song, and it wasn't the last song, which I feel is... Well, what did I, I tell you about Final Fantasy? Well, yeah. Whoa. How was there a seventh one? I thought it was the last fantasy. There's so many fantasies. I do think there's a little bit of, like, irony and the beginning of the lyrics of this track being the last one and it's like oh it's it's time it's sort of as if something's starting but really it's the end of something i need to know i need to know tonight sweet and divine yeah i just think that's such a cool part it's really really well done of mine Divine. Gonna make a video game reference. 
the interval that he's playing with there is called The Devil's Third. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever play that game? I remember that game. I didn't play it. I didn't play it. We you failed you. You people are so uncultured. <laughs> You're so... It's, it was, it was a, a travesty on the Wii U, but I loved it. I'm alone in the world. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> well, I mean... We're all alone I'll in the world. I'll never get another Splinter Cell. I'll never get a. I'll never get a Devil's Fourth, and I'll never get another Splinter oh, Cell game. Wait, so. was that one of those like those like who was that? Itagaki. It was the Ita- Itagaki, I believe. He was. Oh, that's man. the uh, the Ninja Gaiden guy, right? Yeah, he's a weirdo. Yep. <laughs> it's a weird game. I know. He's. Anyway. I've been in a room with that guy. It's really uncomfortable. Hmm. I'll right, have to ask about that sometime. Yeah, that's. I shouldn't start talking shit about game developers, but... Um, Janet, anything, anything else you wanted to hear off this this half? No, I think I'm good. I think we touched so, on most of my favorites. Yeah. I think this is a nice way to end it, too, this, this yeah. song. Um, so I, was, I also want to bring this, this part of the conversation up here at the end, because, like, I definitely have noticed, especially in the past, like, I don't know, two years, it seems like the Foo Fighters are sort of becoming somewhat of a punching bag, at least on Twitter. Sometimes I notice that. I think maybe just because of their sort of, like, ubiquity. But mm. is, it, is it the Nirvana thing? No, or I think God, it's more Dave Nirvana, Roll. Nickelback thing. Well, like, more, yeah. Pe- too many people like them, so there have to be a few people who hate them, and I, then those few people who hate them get some people behind them. I think so. Yeah, and I think that Grohl has just been sort of like omnipresent in a lot of ways, you know, in media. Like, he's just around a lot. So, I don't know. But, I don't know. I feel like my view is like, you know, it's hard to be an arena rock band and not many people try to do it anymore. So, I sort of appreciate just that, like, you know, I don't know. They they try to be a big band. I don't think a lot of bands try to be big anymore and, and they're successful at it, you know, and they, they, they know how to write songs. Um for that setting. And I think that's a skill that people probably sort of, maybe it's not a hip thing to do, or maybe not, you know, artsy, but I think that there's a, like, if anyone could do it, everyone would be, you know, playing like soccer arenas. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think too, just, you know, looking at the band in general for a second, they have just a really strong discography. I mean, even their weaker albums are still pretty strong. Um, with, I can't really comment on Medicine at Midnight, which just came out this year. Like, I haven't checked that out. Uh, but Concrete and Gold, Sonic Highway is, like, Wasting Light. You know, not my favorite of theirs. Like, I think I definitely still see you to their earlier stuff. But, uh, yeah, they've made a lot of really good records. Um, and I, I I think it's really hard to stay and stay consistent in that way. Um, and I think that alone is, like, really impressive. And uh, I love this band a lot. I've even thought of getting a tattoo, the little FF tattoo. Uh, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I don't think that's a terrible decision to have not gotten that. But yeah, it's, uh, there's just, a, and I, I was thinking about it too when I was like, oh, if I got that though, like what if they just fall off? Cause a lot of bands that I've, I've liked in the past, I'm not a big fan of anymore. But I'm like, I think there's enough history there that it, they'd have to put out a lot of really bad stuff for me to ever, ever feel bad about that. Yeah, I think they're probably really a, like a classic rock band at this point. You know what I mean? So I think that they sort of, I don't know if, if new albums really like diminish what, or maybe even add, you know, it, it's sort of mm-hmm. like the Rolling Stones or something, right? Like, I don't think their new album really matters to like the whole thing. Yeah, they're grandfathered um, in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, this was fun. I, I really enjoyed this album. I, I was not familiar with this, um, and maybe I should go. I should probably go check out the new one and see what see what that one's about. Um, yeah, I got to do that you know, too. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I definitely like. 
have a strong soft spot, especially for like a color and the shape. That was one that I really, really liked. I debated that one too. Like I, I debated that one in um, their first album, I think is just, there's something really pure and raw about that one. So yeah, it's a great yeah, band first, to dig into. The first one is cool. Cause it's kind of a different band. I'm pretty sure this is all Dave, like kind of in his house, just like making a record on his own. Yeah, I really love um, those first records from bands in general. It reminds me of how mm-hmm. like Radiohead's Pablo Honey is so definitely not their best work, but it's so like genuine and like, like fresh and not figured out yet that I just really love it. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I like that one. Yeah. Before bands like totally figure themselves out. And I mean, you know, honestly, like the first one, he might've just been making is like thinking, you know, this is just some side stuff I'm doing right now, you know, and that it's not even going to be like a big thing. I'll just kind of throw it out on an indie label or something. So I'm, I'm sure he didn't probably think that, you know, 25 years later or whatever, he'd still be doing that, that project. So it's, it's, I guess, a testament to like just how incredibly successful it's been. Um, all right. Well, let, let's change, let's change gears here, uh, to a, another great artist. One I'm, I'm, I'm very fond of Kendrick Lamar. This is his second album. Um, I guess it was kind of his coming out. A lot of people almost refer to it as his debut, but, um, good kid, mad city, uh, so yeah, I'm curious uh, what you think of this. You said that you know, you you definitely came from like a hip hop background and, and things like that growing up. Um, are you still like really into hip hop, or have you sort of like just more gravitated towards rock, or like what's your relationship? Yeah, I've kind of fallen off of all music. I feel like lately, I'm I'm hitting that age where I'm stuck in my high school playlist a little bit. Uh, I'm working on it to try and take time to you know hit up the release radar, see see what new stuff's coming out. So. Um, I'm definitely not as like up with stuff as I used to be when I was younger, but I still listen to hip hop like a lot. And uh, Kendrick is probably actually the last artist I saw live was Kendrick Lamar, uh, which was still like a very old story. It wasn't like he toured super recently or something. But uh, I went to see uh, his performance for Two Pimp Butterfly. Um, so oh, wow. yeah, and it was it was so good. It was so good, and it was a small venue. I love small venue stuff because I'm someone that always wants to be in GA. Like if I'm not standing, like I don't want to be there. Um, and it was like small enough for that, but also like it was just really well done. Um, so yeah, I love Kendrick, huge fan. Uh, I almost picked that album actually as mine, which would have been really funny if we just had two Kendrick oh, wow, albums. Good yeah. um, kid about city. It took me a second <laughs> to warm up to it. Um, I was like, uh, you know, it's not like Kendrick's height, which I still think is true, but I've it's grown a lot on me, uh, mostly because people in my life have been like, nah, you gotta just listen to it again and i'm like okay uh and i i really have grown to love it yeah i i really actually was torn i almost picked to pimp a butterfly as well um which is like a, a way i think more ambitious album and like way 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 more dense incredibly dense record and um i but there was something about this album where i just you know i've liked rap for a long time hip-hop for a long time and you know i guess i'm not as in tune to a lot of like the super popular stuff now um you know i like a lot of underground stuff still but every once in a while like there's just a rapper that comes out and i'm just like oh my god like this is like this person's a real talent you know a real like real talent and Mm -hmm. i so there's part of this album just hearing this and being like i don't find like new rappers as much you know in the stage of my life that i can really like sort of obsess over and i just this album was just i think you're right that he probably is you know to Bimba Butterfly is much more uh, ambitious. I would say that Damn is probably uh, maybe more similar to this, but maybe a little more realized. But there's something about this album when he's just very young and he's just got 
a lot to express, I think, about his background and where he comes from and, and sort of the struggles of growing up that I find I find that exciting just because, um, you know, they don't come around that often to me. Um, so I don't know. What, what should we listen to first? These are all – there's a lot of – I mean, there's a lot of great rhyming on this. Um, Bitch Don't Kill My Vibe is a good one. Yeah, that, yeah, seems, just, like, <laughs> that seems like kind of the – and there's a lot of stuff. Jason, I, <laughs> I threw you so many timestamps, but I just wanted to point out a few things, like just about – how he he flows on this but it, it's amazing all right i'll get from the jump and you guys can let me know where to go sure this is also like the track where even if you didn't listen to this album or like this album you knew this song yes definitely this kind of put him i think on a on the map swimming pools maybe yeah it's kind of big backseat freestyle is also another one oh yeah stand out <laughs> who could forget we'll get to it <laughs> You got a lot of timestamps in here, Matt, starting at <laughs> about 50 seconds. Yeah, it's uh, okay. Do you want to just kind of guide us through? Well, it's more just, yeah. This song is good for like every playlist. It just has like it does such a good job at capturing what it intends to, which is like creating a vibe by by saying "bitch don't kill my vibe." Like it's so relatable. Yeah. I guess what I wanted to point out in this song is like how many times like his his flow is very complex, like to the beat. You know, he's kind of going in and out of the beat and like like triplet flows here, mm-hmm. and it's like. He, he ch- he's constantly changing. Most rappers kind of have a certain sort of set pattern. But he's just so complicated with how he keeps changing his phrasing. Yeah, he really grooves with it, I think, is the thing. And he's also not afraid to let, like, the beat breathe. Like, he doesn't feel the need to fill it with back-to-back bars, um, yes. which I think really helps with, like... It feels like a very relaxed song that is, like you said, still highly complex lyrically but you can just groove to it it's a good background song it's like there's a lot of um it's funny because i don't even smoke but like there's a lot of smoking songs on like this album yeah i mean that's kind of the classic west coast you know vibe of it drums are so good on this suit so like this is a different phrasing than the first verse like he makes it sound kind of easy because he's very effortless but like this is Boy, it's gotta be hard to write that. Give me a feasible game, rather her seasonal name. I'll let the people know this is something you can blame. On yourself, you can remain. I think, too, this track has like a great use of strategic repetition. Like, the hook itself is highly repetitive, it's just the same line over and over again. And, like, he'll do like a what's essentially replacing a couplet with just a repeated line. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it feel chill because it's the kind of song where, like, you don't have to listen to it a lot to like vibe to it because it doesn't take long to like latch onto the key lyrical ideas of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, you're so, talking so much about his, his phrasing and his flow. Like, there's 
distinct moments like there's there's a line in this song where he says to me that's amazing and instead of just saying like to me that's amazing he like emphasizes the two and the me a lot and i know that's a little tiny thing to mention but it like sticks in my mind of how he chooses specific words like to me that's amazing and i'm wondering if that's like is that building like i know this is a very character driven album you know like he's inhabiting different personas to tell from different perspectives and stuff is that part of that or is that just like part of his style i'm not way too familiar with the rest of his work i mean yeah i think he's very he's very fluid overall and he he has like I said, yeah, I think he makes odd choices, cool choices yeah, about yeah. how he phrases words and even pronounces words sometimes, which is, which is very like uh, distinctive to him, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think too, like in that last bridge, like one common thread in this album is like drawing on previous records and lyrics and sayings, um, like his, you know, waiting on Kendrick the first and the fifteenth. Um, you know, some people attribute that to like two box all eyes on me but also like first and 15th like that's a that's a vibe like those who know know right it's like yeah, everyone yeah. talks about the first and 15th i also really love the um i'll take your girlfriend and put that pussy on a pedestal just because it has so many cultural ties um one being like um i think according to like you know the genius annotation like eddie murphy's stand up but the one i think of is 40 year old virgin where he's like don't put you putting the pussy on a pedestal you know <laughs> oh, and it's yeah. like <laughs> totally. yeah and it's um i love that line like it's so playful and i think one thing is this song is very aggressive if you were just reading it you know even just like the use of the word bitch over and over again but it doesn't feel aggressive it's it's like a chilled out thing but it has lots of and i think you know back to his phrasing of like to me to you he's you know doing a lot of shit talking on this record too but it doesn't feel that way because he grooves with it so hard that you don't even notice he's insulting you (laughs) or drawing that 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 he's creating that like suave bravado which i think is what's so appealing about this song yeah, I mean, he's just very self-assured, and it just that was that was one of the things that struck me about it. It's just like, wow, like he just sounds like he's he's mastered what he's trying to do, you know. And obviously, he didn't because he went on to do it even better, probably. But uh, I just was like, I was so blown away. I remember when I heard this. Um, should we hear? Because uh, the other one that probably like people most remember or is a uh, backseat freestyle, yes. which is like the more like this. It's kind of an interesting one on the album because I think it's sort of just like. It's kind of silly in a way, but I think it's just that kind of like when 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 kids are like freestyling as kids and just trying to say the most like outrageous stuff mm-hmm. and just ridiculous like lunchroom kind of things, um, it, you know. And it kind of pokes holes in his like because it's a very serious album on the whole, and it has you know a lot of very like heavy heavy themes. But um, I kind of like this one just because it, it's like it's really absurd. Um, and then like you know he he starts I think imitating Eminem like on the third verse for no reason. Um, so it's pretty funny. Also the production in this, like the producer yeah. snapped on this. <laughs> yeah. I think this is Hit Boy. Yeah. And also, like, drawing parallels between his dream that's coming up and Martin is, like, just Yeah, absurd. it's, like, so... <laughs> it's, like, only Kendra could say that and I would be, like, okay. Yeah. So, I went back and forth on this chorus a lot over my life. <laughs> yeah. You gotta and, have goals, you know what I mean? Yes, and this is, like, you know, in my, like, gut reaction to, like, these picks and my associations with this album, I'm, like... Uh, I like cringed so hard for so long at the you know the Dick Eiffel Tower line. I'm like it's so stupid. Like, 
it just doesn't make any sense. Um, no one wants an Eiffel Tower deck. Like, you know, I just so many flaws, <laughs> yeah. like so many holes. Um, yes. Like the the thought of that actually happening pains me in a very real way. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> but like, you know, I'm I'm like, it's fine. I've come around to it just because the verses are so fire. Um, my notes for this is just this song is just fun. Yeah, it's a fun it's a fun line. And I think the Eiffel Tower thing does like speak to it's, you know, dudes talking shit with other dudes. And it reminds me a lot of something that like my brother's a big hip hop fan. And we were talking about like bravado and, and sexuality and hip hop. And I'm like, you know, yeah, like people get so mad when like, you know, Cardi B or Meg Thee Stallion are like sexual and like dudes are talking about sex all the time. And he's like, yeah, but like <laughs> when women say it, it's true. Like, when Meg talks shit about sex and how, like, you know, all this shit about her pussy, it's true. He's like, guys, this shit isn't true. We're just making shit up. And I think that's so funny. And I think that's actually highly accurate. um, And exactly what's going on in this song. Um, Yeah, I mean, 72 hours seems ambitious, you know? And, (laughs) like... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. To me, this is just, like, it almost reminds me of, like, the character is, like, just a young kid that was just, like rapping to try to impress like his little 13 year old friends kind of stuff you know which is kind of the pure kind of part of rap you know see here I feel like he's doing Eminem yeah I never like, thought of like, it that way but that's actually was in, I, it was, I read an article about it because with, with Eminem um, that's totally Eminem like he's got that angry voice too um, but I guess you know we always tend to think of you know hip hop obviously it's African American art form and, and Eminem being influenced by, you know, African-American artists, which he's always, you know, been very mm-hmm. open about. But I read an article just about, you know, like for Kendrick, um, like he said, like the Marshall Mathers LP was like all he listened to for a while. I've heard, I've heard like Earl Sweatshirt and Tyler, the creator, say that they were like huge on this one um, relapse or whatever album by Eminem. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about that. It goes both ways, you know, cause like Eminem was, you know, the biggest rapper in the world for like a period of time when these kids were like very young, you know, which is kind of, I never thought about the, the influence like going both ways like that. Yeah. I never thought of that with that verse, but that's so accurate. Um, also just before the song ends, I do want to shout out that, um, that line in verse two though, where it's, uh, and it makes me come fast, but I never get embarrassed. Cause I think that's, uh, like a really funny parallel to like the rest of the song which is very like you know a lot of sexual verado and like oh yeah like you know I, I hope I have like this huge dick and I'm like gonna like fuck these bitches for 72 hours but at the same time he's like yeah like I came fast and like it doesn't matter and it's like it's, I think it's so goofy and yeah, also like yeah. a, a nice like moment of like humbleness which you see in, in rap a lot too uh, especially when it comes to sex sometimes people are just being like weirdly very honest about something that's inherently usually seen as negative um so i like that it has those moments too because i think it adds to like a little bit of the authenticity of the flow and the fun of it um and also like the confidence again where it's like i'm just gonna talk shit this whole time and this isn't even gonna matter that i come fast because i'm just gonna go into the next verse and it's gonna be fine <laughs> totally um i i, I did want to uh get into like the more serious side of this album which i think is you know kind of the core of it which is you know i think you know, I think partially probably fictional and partially informed by his own life of trying to kind of negotiate living, you know, growing up in Compton and, and, you know, there's the, the street life he's kind of, I think drawn to and repelled by at the same time. Um, and I, the art of peer pressure, I think is, is pretty, uh, a pretty good example of where like he, he's kind of playing both sides where he, he seems like he's sort of at a distance from this stuff, but he's also like, 
sort of caught up in it at the same time. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Everybody sit your bitch ass down and listen to true motherfucking story told by Kendrick Lamont Rosecrans. Yeah, this is where like the story really starts to define itself of what this album is. Because everything before, like you could kind of miss the overarching themes if you weren't like paying closer attention. I also want to shout out like it's sort of flooded through or littered throughout a lot of these tracks, so I can't really pick a certain one. But the uh, use of skits in this album is really interesting. Yeah, you know, there's sort of a backdrop of. I mean, that's oh another backdrop. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy's funny. <laughs> is that his stepdad, I think, maybe? And his, I think that's his mom or his grandma, I can't tell. Yeah, I think it's his, it's his mom and dad. And, like, it's, um, yeah, like, what one thing I really like about this album or really appreciate about it is, you know, you mentioned, like, oh, there aren't, you know, a lot of albums like this where it's not as popular. I think, you know, certainly hip-hop has moved past direct storytelling all the time with everything all the time, but it is really fun to get those you know, stories-driven albums or concept albums or thematic albums just because they add, like, an additional creative layer, you know, especially in the era of, like, streaming music and having stuff all the time. Like, it's not often that you can really enjoy an album as a cohesive thought, and I think that's what Good Kid Mad City does so well. Yeah. And here's the kind of more ominous part. Yeah. We on the mission for bad bitches in trouble. I hope the universe love you today. Cause the energy we bring is sure to carry away a flock of positive activists and fill their body with hate if it's necessary. Bumpin' Jeezy first album looking distracted. Speaking He's really good with little details like uh, Bumpin' Jeezy's first album, just like little asides that I think make make the storytelling really, really vivid to me as well. Yeah, and I like that he brings that back, I think even later in this track when they mention, they like reference one of uh, Young Jeezy's lines from Trap or Die. I think, too, this is a really interesting take on the choruses from this point on, whether or not, like, repeated at all. Like, the the only difference between the chorus and the verse is it's not, like, directly rapping. It's just someone sort of yeah. monologuing a little bit. It's 2.30 and the sun is beaming. Air conditioner broken. I hear my stomach screaming. Hungry for anything unhealthy and if nutrition can help me, I'll tell you to suck my dick, then I'll continue eating. We're speeding on the four or five passing Westchester. You know the light skinned girls and all the little dresses, good lord. And I always feel like there's so much like Los Angeles stuff on this I did like don't understand, you know, because I don't live there. Mm-hmm. Like what like what's Westchester or you know, I feel like certain parts that is, or streets that he mentions probably have like a greater significance if you grew up in those areas. Right. I never was a game banker. I mean I never was stranger to the folk neither. I really doubt it. Rush a nigga quick and then we laugh about it. That's ironic because I've never been violent until I'm with the homies. That's right. And he can, it's kind of interesting. He keeps saying, like, I'm not violent or I'm usually sober, but, like, he's he's not, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's very, um, talk about unreliable narrator, right? It's very, uh, for those who, who, who read The Great Gatsby, it's very Nick Carraway in that sense. Yeah, yeah. The homies. Yeah, but I think uh, I really like to the concept of so much of hip hop is talking about, you know, being gangster, being in a gang, you know, doing violent shit, selling drugs, which is, you know, totally valid in its own right and has its own place in the genre. But what's really cool about Good Kid Mad City is it's talking about a perspective that we don't hear that often, which is the kid who is kind of like a shithead a little bit, but also like not a gangbanger, but also around a lot of gangbangers. And I think that's also a very relatable thing because when you are in like, 
those circumstances in those communities it is sort of like that's who's there and like that is just like a very real thing and you'll get caught up in it very easily yeah and he definitely even um to that theme he kind of i can't remember where it is in one song but he even says like i'm trey i'm cuba gooding from like boys in the hood yeah which is like yeah you know which is kind of like a very like uh almost that exact same type that you're talking about a you know, kid that's kind of like his friends are very involved in gangbanging but he's kind of trying to stay out of it but he, he tends to get sucked into it as well um, what do, where do you want to go next ooh I want to go to where do I want to go uh, I want to go to Poetic Justice Every second, every minute, man, I swear that she can get it. Say if you are bad. Every album needs some sultry tunes. Like, Good, uh, <laughs> is what I'm learning from this comparison. Nice uh, Janet Jackson sample on this. Put me in the mood. I'm talking about dark moon perfume. Go, go. I recognize your fragrance. Hold up, you ain't never gotta say shit. Uh, and I know you taste this a little bit. Mm. song is like it's not poetic justice like and maybe it's a relation to the movie poetic justice but it just yeah. kind of it always stood out as reference. like yeah it's like oh okay <laughs> which for people that don't know it's that was a movie with tupac and janet jackson uh john singleton boys in the hood director kind of a, a romantic kind of movie um set you know in in kind of the hood This original Janet song that this is based on is great as well. This is probably one of my earlier favorite tracks from this record. Like, even before I got really into the album, I'm like, I like this song. <laughs> yeah, it's just very chill. You know, even though, like, and it, it's so smart to have Drake on a track like this, who is, like, the, like, suave hip-hop dude who made, <laughs> yeah. who, like, was able to sing without, like, you know, I was, it's funny, because I was, like, a late Drake fan, because, like, when Drake first hit the scene, I was just annoyed, <laughs> um, as many people were, but looking back on older hip-hop, where there was that era of, like, I'm talking like the Ja Rule era, where it was, like, dudes who could not sing at all. Being like, oh, da, 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 and then an R&B woman like coming in and saving the entire yeah, track. Yeah. So I really have to give it to Drake for like being able to to rock on that level and do it well. Yeah, I was actually listening to him. And I kind of was like, oh man, I, Drake. Drake was. I think he's gotten a little tiresome to me the more he's gotten into this kind of like pouty, like billionaire kind of mode. But um, I mean, he's he's. This is definitely Drake's like comfort zone. This kind yes. of stuff. Again, too, I think like Kendrick, like if we're thinking of like, you know, songs that make sense on an album and maybe songs that don't or songs that fit an artist and songs that don't, this doesn't, this doesn't really fit Kendrick, but then it also does because even looking at like the rest of his discography or his history, he's pretty good at making like one sort of sexy song. 
um, which is interesting because obviously he he's talked about sex plenty of times, but like he doesn't usually make music that's like seductive. But usually there's no. at least like one standout track that's like, oh, this is kind of sexy. Yeah, yeah. If I told you that a flower bloomed in a dark room, would you trust it? I mean, you need to hear this. Love is not just a verb, it's you looking in the mirror. Um, I kind of... not just a verb, it's you looking for... I feel like maybe we, Good Kid, Mad City, and then Sing sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst should should sort of be the end, because I feel like they're kind of the most, like, serious ones. But I, I would like to hear Swimming Pools, because I think this was a, another big standout kind of single. Um, it was kind of an interesting, because, you know... it. You know, it's kind of catchy about drinking, but it's also, you know, obviously it's a very like kind of grim song about drinking as well. Yeah, I wrote down banger party song that isn't a party song. Pull up, headshot, sit down, stand up, pass out. I saw this song come up the other day on TikTok where there's this audio that's been going around from Rick and Morty that's... uh, where Rick goes, so let me out, let me out. This is not dance. I'm begging for help. I'm screaming for help. And people have been using that for like times where our creative people are making really dark stuff and everyone's just jamming to it or enjoying it. And this was one of the examples <laughs> they used, like Kendrick making a song about addiction and everyone else just being like, yeah, let's drink. Totally. It's just so good. Like, you can't not drink to this. I know it's so toxic, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, though, that's the brilliance of... You know, in a lot of ways, I think this this song exemplifies what this album does and what the kind of general theme the album's exploring, which is being drawn into things that are bad for you and, like, romanticizing things that are bad for you or, like, trying to get away from something, but it being a little bit appealing, but it not being appealing because of the dark stuff, yeah. but also it's enjoyable. So it's, like, the, that push-pull, I think... I, I feel like it's very intentional to make a song like this that is more party-based because especially if you look at, you know, how Kendrick progresses as an artist where, like, in Spirit Butterfly, he has songs about alcoholism and they don't sound like this, you know? No, they're yeah. much darker, grittier, slurred, like, very obviously cautionary tales. But here, I think it's a very intentional choice to make it, you know, a party vibe. Definitely. God, he's yeah. Like this verse is just crazy. I think too. At one point, you know, we've all had the. At the time, it didn't seem toxic, but looking back, maybe it's a little jank. Of, of someone being like, hey, drink more. Or like, hey, yeah, totally. like, let's, you know, like, that's very relatable. Sit down. Stand up. Pass out. Even this part's kind of like grim. Like, it's almost like a job. Like, wake up. Drink. Drink. You know what I mean? Like, just like it's your job. I feel like this bridge kind of mirrors that too with like the repetition of bang versus drink. Nigga, why you baby sitting only two or three shots? I 
I'ma show you how to turn it up a notch First you get a swimming pool full of liquor Then you dive in it Pool full of liquor Then you dive in it I wave a few bottles Then I watch you all fly All the girls wanna play may watch I got a swimming pool full of liquor And they dive in it Pool full of liquor I'ma dive in it Pool Headshot Drink Sit down, drink, stand up, drink, pass out, drink, wake up, drink, fade it, drink. I think maybe next let's do, um, which I feel is kind of the core of the album. Uh, obviously, it's the title, but the, the songs Good Kid and then the song Mad City, um, which are kind of, you know, I think really tied together and, um, you know, really get at the core of maybe his relationship with where he grew up. And the people he grew up around and some of the things that he saw growing up. Jason, I was thinking part of this kind of recalls like last week we did Curtis Mayfield Superfly. And like oh, yeah, the track on sure. this really is a, seems like a you know reference to Curtis, I think. Yeah, the instrumentation alone, like that bass line that comes in. That's a Curtis baseline. That's the record spin I should pray. For the record, I recognize that I'm easily prey. I got eight alive yesterday. I got animosity building. It's probably big as a building. Me jumping off of the roof. It's me just playing it safe. But what am I supposed to do when the topic is red or blue? And you is that sample or is that original? You know, I don't know. Look, it's probably sample. Pharrell was the producer, so. Ah. Step on my neck and get blood on your Nike checks. I don't mind, cause one day you respect the good kid, Mad City. does a really good job creating like lyricism and depth in like these very direct stories by just using like you know uh god what am i i'm forgetting what it is now when something starts in the same letter i taught english i should remember this word alliteration thank you i'm like stuff with an a i'm like oh god yeah he has like alliteration or like you know internal rhyme like he just kind of keeps it playful even when he's doing like full-on sentences I don't want to talk too much over the song uh, As it was Matt's choice But Janet, in your intro You mentioned that you did use this album Maybe to teach an English class Yeah, I taught I'm Dying of Thirst To like my high school students When I was student teaching, I think Or maybe I was already a staff member But yeah, I did use that I'm going to pocket that for when we get to that song Yeah, for sure I think there's something like really haunting about that line. The, um, you know, step on his neck as hard as your bulletproof vest, especially like in the wake of like Eric Gardner yeah. and all of this other stuff, which just goes to show you that like, it's so frustrating. Cause like so many people have been saying these things for a really long time, all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you know, it takes like direct proof of, I mean, yeah. like it's cr- If this came out today, we would totally say, Oh, that's a reference to Eric, but it was before that, mm. which is just wild to me. I mean, and frankly, in the next song, like Mad City, there's MC8 of Compton's Most Wanted, who's like, he's probably in his early 50s, you know, and he was, Compton's Most Wanted was talking about that stuff in like the late 80s, you know, like, 
you know, effectively somebody that could be like Kendrick's dad, you know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. NWA and that whole era. So it's just like, you know, endless really, sadly. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Let's, uh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to jump us into Mad City. Yeah. Yeah. The song goes so hard for no reason. It's just like it's like the height. I really love that chorusy intro too because it has like this ghostly, larger than life figure that I think we see appear in mm-hmm. you know other things from Kendrick of this sort of like outside force. Yes, like like kind of a god character. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as, as you brought up earlier, you know, Janet, religion is definitely a, you know, there's we haven't listened to it, but like there's some prayers, literal prayers in the in some of the skits, and you know, that's another thing that sort of hovers in the background. I think is like you know faith or whatever he struggles with in those areas. like bring back the grandma line too or like really good ways that there's a nice connective thread throughout like mm-hmm. the entire album it ain't nothing but a cop real simple and plain it teaches some lessons about the street also and Kendrick the, loves putting two songs in one song in this he album does, yes and this this I think this guest appearance is kind of interesting it says MC8 of Counting Most Wanted but you know like I think just sort of representing like the the older culture that he kind of came out of, you know, whereas like MC8 like legitimately has like you know gang affiliations and crip stuff, you know, from the 80s. So like mm-hmm. like that's kind of like you know probably the older guys that when he was growing up, you know, were sort of doing the real street life that he's kind of like attracted to, but sort of repelled by at the same time. Yeah. 
Melandra, Rosecrans, Bullets, What's up? I'm still in the hood, no, yeah, that's cool, yeah. the hood took me under so I follow the rules, but yeah, that's like me, I grew up in the hood where they bang, and niggas that rep colors is doing the same thing, pass it to the left so I can smoke on me. I remember too when I re-listened to this I was like wow it's crazy that his this song is six almost six minutes and then I get deeper to the album I'm like that's not even the longest song no yeah but they're kind of almost like sweets kind of like multiple songs yeah like you don't notice it at all which is really impressive I mean like to actually be able to fill that amount of time I killed that nigga at 16, would you believe me? Or see me to be innocent Kendrick You seen in the street with a basketball and some now ladies to eat If I'm mashing all of my skeletons, would you jump in the sea? Would you say my intelligence now is great relief? And it's safe to say that our next generation maybe can sleep With dreams of being a lawyer, doctor Instead of boy with a chopper They hold the coat as a hostage Kill them all if they gossip The children of the corn They vandalize in the option of living a lie Drive their body with toxins Constantly drinking and drive Hit the powder then watch this flame That arrive in his eye Listen, cow with the concept is aiming, they bang in the slide. Out that bitch with deposit a price on his head. The tides probably go to the projects. Ah, never inside the belly. Should we? I feel like I want to touch on your class experience and also this. This, I mean, there are a couple songs after this, but Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst kind of feels like it kind of completes the, the cycle of the album. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. You can jump to that. By the I feel way, like the front and the end of the album are more like bookends of like yes. they can kind of stand alone more than the other ones can. Yes, I agree. Also, sing sing about me. I'm dying with thirst is like a good fallout boy song title. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Jesus, Matt, you don't have to punch down like that. <laughs> what? That's the that's uh, their whole thing, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, so Janet, I'm I'm. Maybe I'm, you know, stomping all over the track, but whenever you want, tell me about what it was like to teach English with this. Yeah, um, I think we can, we have space to step a little bit because it's twelve minutes long. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I taught it. I taught specifically the second part of the track that we'll get to later. The dying of thirst part. It's kind of broken into two sections. Sing about me, which is so smart because it's very it is very musical and, and calm and sad um, and ballady in that sense um, but yeah I was I forgot I, I'm so sad that I can't find the actual assignment sheet because I made documents and everything for it um, but essentially it was I think looking at I'm guessing just different you know god was it called like figurative language like key terms basically i'm guessing is what i used it for mm-hmm. but i don't fully remember and I, I always used music a lot in my classes because i felt like so often people are really intimidated by like poetry and more traditional what you think of the kind of text you think of when you think of an english class and i'm like look y'all already know all this stuff i know you know it because i hear you listening to the music and I know you can stop and think about it or probably already have thought about it. And you just haven't thought of it in the, like an educational context or an academic context. Um, so, yeah, this is one of the tracks. I also was very intentional on picking a lot of different kinds of music. So I usually did have some rock and some pop thrown in there, too, um, especially because I taught at a, a predominantly Hispanic uh, black school where I didn't ever want it to seem like, oh, let me like we all had those. Well, if you were if you're a person of color, you might have had that experience of, oh, we're going to read this like text because everyone assumes that we can relate because it has to do with things and stuff and you know all that so i really wanted to avoid 
falling into that or making my students feel like that's what I was doing um, because that's not what I want to do. Uh, but yeah, we, we used it and it was really fun to just break apart and dig into it. And I'll, you know, definitely point out some of the specific lines that really resonated with me. And I, I just think this track is really beautiful and layered and smart and dark. And yeah, it's just a great, it's a great piece that one thing Kendrick does really great on this album is saying things that there's a phrase for this too, but I just don't remember where it has like a dual meaning if you read it with like a different inflection or a different you know a lot of words like a word like dying for instance there's dying like death then there's dying like your dying fabric and then there's like all these other you know associations we can tie into it and you know like even in swimming pools that we heard earlier like you know i'm gonna dive or die into this pool of alcohol like it Mm -hmm. has that duality to it so i think he has a lot of fun with language and there's so much depth that you can dig into there so i thought it was a a great one to pick it also wasn't too you know too sweary or too drug-based or anything like that as well which is a bonus (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) approval must have been kind of crazy from you know, from above, like I'm assuming you needed to get that cleared for curriculum. Oh no, I mean not at all. Like <laughs> it was totally oh, wow. chill. Um, yeah, like I I could nice. do kind of whatever. I mean, I I um I think education has grown so much in the last decade or two. Um, and for me, I had my mentor teacher was like, do whatever you want, have fun with it. Like you know, be you. Like she was hey. she was a, a huge hippie. So I don't think she cared like <laughs> at all. Um, and usually, you know, I would still give like a censored version but it would have the swear in it or something still it's little stars and things to make it radio the radio edit or whatever but um yeah and i always kind of had that in in my teaching experiences I, I taught at some really amazing schools where as long as we had the you know the standard it was standards aligned and we used a few of the shared texts and the assessments were all agreed on i could get to where i need to get whenever and my students totally still did you know we did emily dickinson i think in that same lesson <laughs> like it was you know we had um it wow. was the, i'm nobody who are you or you nobody too that that poem so um yeah a lot of the same stuff it's it's all it's all still literary so yeah and i say and kendrick's i think very literary for compared to a lot of i think hip-hop artists just you know even like the songs themselves as you said sort of have like different like chapters almost or they're almost like multiple songs and um, I think I think what is interesting about me to him is that he's sort of like actually similar in that way our very first episode we did Illmatic by Nas no it's I think so good <laughs> they're both similar in that you know they both kind of like grew up in that environment but I think have like a certain distance from it as well or sort of this observational quality where like they didn't fully see themselves as a part of it maybe um, I don't know if I'm articulating that very well but yeah sort of an outside looking in storyteller um, I think also too both of those artists pull in other people's stories which you know Kendrick does a lot here and sing about me or he's talking about someone else reacting to a track he made and their perspective and just sort of jumping around um, like on who the narrator is but yeah Illmatic what a great album that was uh, it, the URL doesn't work anymore I, I, I hope but my MySpace URL was uh, back was slash Illmatic 94 it was like MySpace.com slash Illmatic 94 I don't think nice. that link works by the way please don't try I'm on my <laughs> phone right now I know I, I've tried it because I'm like I've always wanted to I miss that era right of putting songs I uh, I regret to inform you it does work, but it does not lead to a Janet Garcia. Boom! There you go. Somebody named Jonathan Orala owns it. Yeah. I'm sorry, you got scooped. I did. But he does I have did. A it's a good URL. It. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't really have that and not be a little bit of a Nas head.
And just like, you know, kind of the death on this album too, just the idea of like being remembered, you know, the sort of a specter of like dying, I think is very prevalent on this record as well. Yeah, for sure. My favorite moment on, you know, this the first half of this one track, because it's it it is very like, you know, meaty and dense, um, is the, you know, and if I die before your album drops and the gunshot goes off. I think that's such a good you know, hip hop does that obviously a lot in, in music where there'll be like sirens or gunshots or horns or, you know, you know, a, a truck honks or anything like that. But I just thought that was such a powerful use of something that when it's not used right, it can be a little cheesy. Um, yeah. We have another five minutes of this track. Is there anything else we should hit? Um, I wanted to hear. Uh, or like are we waiting seven, for the line? Seven twenty-four. There's sort of a new section that begins. Yeah. Okay. We're about ten seconds from there, so yeah, we could just let it run its course. But we don't have to stay for the whole the whole dying of thirst part. Yeah, you just let me know. played it when I taught it as well. I remember doing that. Nice. I'm like, I hope the Bluetooth speaker works. You know, you know how teaching goes, the stress of technology. There's the yes. Boys in the Hood reference. Yeah, this, those few lines specifically, really, I like spend so much time with them with my students. I was like, okay, banana clip, what is this about? Okay, then what is th- this? Okay, this relates to like the banana clip, relates to the banana pudding, and the banana pudding is actually like a brain smeared out in the concrete, and just the. It's so interesting too to have such a like a playful use of words with something that's so immensely dark. Yes. That's another fair part of mine where it's like the the dying of thirst, die your thirst, the difference there, the take the negative and make it positive. Now back to business, loading the guns and back of the Buick, your hood is feuding, the beef is bubbling, it's no discussion, hereditary, all of my cousins, dying of thirst, dying of thirst, dying of thirst, too many sins, I'm running out. I think too, like the thing for me with this track and like the album as a whole, there's a lot of like desperation and and need. There's just like a lot of that sprinkled throughout. And I think dying of thirst specifically, where it's like okay, and that's kind of what I did with the breakdown of the lyrics with with my kids. It was like okay, what is what does it mean to be dying of thirst? What's dehydration like? Why does he use a specific you know visual? Um, I think too, there's like more playful iterations of this in the album, like when he talks about. You know, being thirsty like a cactus, which is, you know, obviously sexual. Then he also has a lot of hunger language in other parts of the album. You know, what does sustenance and survival mean for him and his community and what he's going through and what he's describing? Um, yeah, I really like digging into all that stuff. Yeah, it's just very dense. I mean, he's very dense lyrically. And, um, and like you said, it's interesting that he carries over certain th- themes and, and kind of motifs from song to song as well. Not just within one song, but over like the course of the whole album. My brother, 
I think that is. I know that's not what I think that is. This is a very haunting beat, too. I always like that. Why are you so angry? See, you young men are dying of thirst. Do you know what that means? That means you need water, holy water. You need to be baptized with the Spirit of the Lord. Do you want to receive God as your personal Savior? Okay, repeat after me. Lord God, I come to you a sinner. I think it's interesting, too, to have, like, a direct, like, interpretation of the song after the song. Like, yeah, especially with it, you again, pulling into so much of that religious, like, language, uh, which you saw a lot in the track. Like, the you know, pastor giving me a promise. If today was the rapture, would I be tarnished? Like, there's a lot going on with that which certainly like you know there's a lot of cultural significance too to like religion and having grown up in like uh, a catholic background has served me well in analyzing text throughout my yeah. adult life <laughs> um but yeah certainly even even if you're not religious i think a lot of especially you know american artists will draw on that because it's so familiar and it is it is our shared text as an american society and you'll see it come up again and again in, in literature and in music and in basically everything yeah, I mean, there's like that's the one thing that I think is just great about the album is that he just weaves so many different kind of threads of like the culture and, and setting that he was grown, you know, grew up in, um, and, and just really like complex. And and frankly, this is even his most complex album. I mean, the the, the next one's even more complex about you know maybe race, a uh, larger issue of race in America too. So, um, yeah, Kendrick's great. I mean, he's just, he's just a really, to me, like from the first time I heard him, I was like, wow, this is like a, a true, like a true talent, you know, not just like, you know, there's a lot of good rappers. A lot of people are make really good rap songs and things like that. But, um, he, he really kind of, I feel like every album is kind of a, a, a statement, you know, coming from him, uh, which is great. And thanks. It was really, it was so cool. I'm glad you taught that in that class. That was such an awesome, uh, just perspective on that, that track as well. Thanks. It was nice to get to share that out because, uh, you know, it's it's weird. The teaching thing has nothing to do with what I do now, pretty much. But it does come up from time to time. And it's it's always fun to share. And I have such a deep appreciation for education and, and working with kids and, and also just, you know, language and studying texts and communication stuff. I mean, that is why I do the game stuff, even though they're totally different than reading a novel. But I think there are a lot of crossovers and just in terms of analysis, uh, analyzing something. Yeah, absolutely. Um do you, do you have time to stick around for some uh, community questions? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Uh, Matt, tell me, how many songs would you guess are on the Crossfade community playlist? So let's see. A year, there'd be 52 weeks in a year. So like, say, every other week, 20, 32. Uh, the answer is I don't know. <laughs> um, but there is 24 hours worth of music on this playlist. I'm sorry, the mobile version won't tell me how many songs. It's a good couple hundred, man. It's a big wow. one. And hey, if you're listening to this and you support MinMax at patreon.com slash MinMax, you can suggest songs that are going to appear on that playlist. And some of them we play at the end of each episode. Uh, regardless, we also solicit questions and comments from our listeners, um, like the ones we're about to read uh, and get Janet's opinion on. Uh, but again, that's patreon.com slash MinMax. That's MinMax with two N's. You can find uh, not just Crossfade, but a lot of other cool stuff, uh, that, including the MinMax show, which uh, Janet is regularly on, and uh, some fun bonus content as well. So head there uh, right after listening to this, because I want you to hear these great questions from our community, um, starting with Swiggity Swoo asks, 
What other Dave Grohl projects do you like, if any? Uh, Janet, to you first. Yeah, um, all of them, basically. <laughs> Unless I'm just like, there's some that I maybe haven't heard of. Uh, Nirvana, obviously. And uh, Them Crooked Vultures, which uh, they, you know, I think their album was just called Them Crooked Vultures. It's a group consistent of, let's see if I have the names right, uh, uh, Josh Holm on vocals, John Paul Jones on the bass and keyboard, and Dave Grohl back on the drums and doing backup vocals. I remember that getting announced back when that album dropped in 2009 and hearing about like the super group that came together and i was so excited and that album's so good and that's the only thing they've done with that so i really hope they revisit it because it was so good but um yeah and then if we're thinking of just kind of you know general projects i can't remember the name of the sort of documentary but they did like a garage tour the foo fighters and they have a documentary movie thing on it and it's so awesome please check it out if you have not seen it because it's such a fun vibe it's them going across the country and playing in people's garages and they just basically picked super fans like you kind of wrote in and and it's so nice because like they you know show you you know the backgrounds of these people who are these big Foo Fighter fans and they're like yeah I you know we put down so-and-so's name because they had they have these crazy collections and they'll have stuff like this is their set list from like all of this and I followed them on this tour and you'll see stuff like the people who you know got Foo Fighters to come to their garage be like you know sing a song with Dave Grohl and it's just good vibes and the sets are really fun because it's like it's the energy of a garage of a garage concert but with a band like Foo Fighters so it's a real fun interesting contrast and you get to see a lot of uh Dave Grohl's personality come through and him being like way too into coffee and it's like all this other goofy stuff uh I love that a lot so check it out if you haven't seen it before nice I was Matt, I what else do you listen that? to from um, Grohl yeah, there's a few things. I want to do a callback to a few episodes ago with Matt Sweeney of Chavez. He had mentioned uh, that he had worked with Dave on his, the Probot project, which is sort of his like thrash metal uh, project where he got a lot of old school metal singers to sing on it. Um, so shout out to to Matt who helped hook that up for Dave. Um, to piggyback, I had them Crooked Vultures down uh, on my list as well. Um, the precursor to that... Uh, I don't remember if it was Josh Homme or Josh Hom, but um, his band, uh, Queens of the Stone Age, uh, there's um, songs for the deaf. Uh, Dave played drums on all of that. I think that's where they first kind of started musically, at least uh, hooking up. And that to me is like, I don't know, best heavy rock album of this century. Maybe it's just awesome. Um, another documentary that he produced, he's not really in it. He's in it a little bit, I think, but uh, it's called Sound City. And it is a documentary about a legendary um, Los Angeles recording studio that was like kind of peaked in the 70s with, you know, like people like Fleetwood Mac and tons of really famous artists. So it's just sort of a documentary about that studio um, was really cool. And uh, yeah, so those those are the two other things. And in addition to them, Crooked Vultures, which I had down, is, all, is a really awesome album. And I'm sure like working with, you know, John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin was probably like a, you know, bucket list thing for him. Uh so that that album turned out awesome. Nice. Uh, let's see. John Skovic or Skovic, I'm going to pronounce it both ways just in case, uh, asks, do any of you have any quote unquote honorary favorite bands whose recent work you don't like or listen to maybe, but who still have a locked spot in your top five because of what you first heard from them? Probably Muse. Their recent stuff's like a oh, little yeah? bit weird to me. Like it's like, you know, a little bit more like electronic uh, and just kind of, you know, a different vibe, but I uh, love that band so much, and I saw them live twice, um, and 
yeah, I mean, it's just a damn good band. So I'm like, it doesn't matter what you do because I can just go back and listen to Absolution um, and nothing can take that away from me. And it wipes the slate clean, huh? Yes. Uh, how about it, Matt? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, to be honest, like, I think there's a lot of artists for me that just sort of hit a certain point where I don't personally feel like anything new they do really diminishes from their peak period. You know, I guess, like, Neil Young's probably, like, my favorite artist of all time. And, like, you know, Neil does a lot of dodgy kind of weird stuff, but, you know, it doesn't really affect mm-hmm. my overall impression of him. I'd say Modest Mouse is another band where I really like the first, you know, few albums and really haven't liked them as much. Uh, but I don't know. I guess I'm not, I'm not one to, to, I don't feel like a bad record really like erases like a good record, you know, to me. I think that a lot of artists, hmm. I mean, you know, for your average artist, right? Like, I'm not saying there aren't exceptions to this, but I would say that in general, we could probably agree that maybe like the first, you know, 10, 15 years of a artist's career is probably where they do most of their peak work. And that's not, you know, across the board true, but, you know, I, I guess I, I don't really can just think about like legacy and stuff like that. I feel like, you know, they kind of, they did what they did and, you know, I'm glad they keep making music and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not as good, but I'm glad that they're still out there, you know, doing what they want to do. Nice. It sounds like you're a little bit more forgiving than I would have assumed you would. I, th- I thought it would be like, man, there was a string of bad albums from Queen in the 80s, <laughs> well, and they're, I mean, they're shit now. I guess you could look at it like that, you know, but um, I don't know. I just don't, I don't, I feel like the work is kind of the work, right? And, you know, a lot of bands mm-hmm. just only have like three, four good records, and that's like, it's not easy to make three or four good records, you know? Um, it's not, not easy to make one yeah, good record. Yeah, it's not easy to make one good song, so. um, Yeah, yeah. I guess I just kind of, I don't really view it as this like cumulative thing. I think sometimes it kind of depends on how much is like not as good and how much is as good and how relevant they still are. Because for me, like another Mm. one that comes to mind for me is Eminem, which is like, I love Eminem, love, love Eminem. I don't know where I land anymore. I call myself an Eminem fan with an asterisk because I'm like, I'm an Eminem fan, (laughs) but I'm not down with like homophobia and like a lot of the other shit that Eminem be doing, you know? So it's like, it's kind of complicated for me. And that's like, an artist that I was had such a deep love and obsession with as a kid. Um, yeah. But, you know, and I've, I've still listened to all of his albums. Like, I totally keep up with his work. And, like, I want him to be better. But, like, it's not really getting better. And I don't really know. But it's also not so... <laughs> and it kind of comes yeah. in waves. Like, I know that discography is so well. And it's just, like... And then I'm like, I don't know. I feel like he, he doesn't figure out how to, like, mature and grow as an artist. But then yeah. sometimes he is hitting yeah. it. And then sometimes it's like, okay, this album was good, but really it was just you flowing really good. And they didn't really have cohesion. And it, I don't feel like, I feel like you're kind of bitter about the reviews. Like, there's so many. So I think that's maybe one artist where it's like, yeah. I think that fits the, the phrase honorary. Because I'm like, I don't want to lead with this because people might get the wrong idea. But well. also, it's complicated. No, Eminem's exhausting now, I find. And I, he's maybe one of those, sometimes I guess people make bad records later that make me sort of question that, like, or point out things that are annoying about them that were there in the early stuff, maybe. Uh, just not as much. But yeah, Eminem's, it's, it's like, it, his new stuff is dire. It's just like, I, I can't. I always listen to it as well, just sort of around, like, reflex, just because I, you know. But it's just like, he also just gets, he, dude's like, he's so rich and successful. And then he gets, like, all, like, mad about, like, machine gun kelly or just these like absolute non-entity people to like get in like wars disc battles with and stuff it just seems like so like absurd at his level being petty is a little bit of his thing yes very uh, much so. but yeah jason if you just say something know, bad about him like we should just talk shit about him so he'll do a song about us like by 
Eminem, three o'clock tomorrow. Uh, his hair's too short. <laughs> I hear that his hair's too short, that he should grow it out a little bit. Yeah. That motherfucker needs to look a bit shaggier if he's going to rap like there that. There you go. Uh, okay, so Janet, the next question is just for you. Uh, Mike Lynch wants to know if you're still playing piano. Are you? Yes, I am. And uh, what has been your favorite song or music style to learn? Um, I'm still really early, so I wouldn't say that I have like a style yet. I have barely you're even. Not, you're not hot on the twelve bar blues. Oh, just yet? Uh, not quite. We're still on like. <laughs> wait, what is it? A book, book one of whatever this edition is. I don't know the Faber <laughs> books. Go. I think um, I'm learning very traditionally because I have uh, an instructor who is also my brother who gives me a really nice discounted rate because he does this as a job. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we're going through a mix of theory and, like, actually in practice. And he likes to put in, like, give me the option, as all his students, it's so much education in my household, <laughs> to do, like, fun songs. Like, if I want to learn just, like, whatever, and he'll find, like, a version that fits my level. Um, so far, the only, like, fun song I've learned was, um, oh, God, it was a Christmas song. I'm trying to remember what song it was. And I, like, barely got through it. And it was so complicated for my level. Uh, Silent Night. Um, oh god that was a pain oh, in the yeah. ass to actually get down because <laughs> um, the thing I've learned from especially having an instructor because I tried to learn on my own many times is there's you know knowing it and like really knowing it where you can play it on the fly there's no mistakes you got it down and then there's like oh I practiced it a bunch and it sounded good in practice but then it was my lesson and I got nervous and I hit the wrong key and all mm. that so that's probably been my favorite song just because it was um, a lot harder and it was my choice. Um, but I also want to give a shout out to Happy Birthday because I learned that recently um, yeah. for my boyfriend's birthday. And I was like really trying to get together for his birthday in time. And I was like practicing with the headphones on so you can make with these secret songs. And uh, I did it. And he was like, oh, that was nice. But in my head, I'm like, you have no idea how I slaved over this <laughs> to try to get it down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've kind of been sticking to mostly... Um, um, holiday stuff. Um, you have to really prepare in advance. Like, I'm about to start practicing for Halloween time, so I'm going to pick some spooky stuff and then maybe do that. But I do have a song list, um, not on me, but of songs that I'm interested in learning. And it does have stuff like, um, I think it might be like The Scientist by Coldplay and things like that. So I think I will mostly be learning um, songs I loved in high school that I think sound pretty on the piano uh, with eventually classical stuff I'd like to do. Like I have a soft spot for Moonlight Sonata, but that's hard as hell. <laughs> and I listened yeah, to yeah. a lot of Alicia Keys when I was a kid. So I think it would be really great to learn some of her songs, which also sound hard as hell. So that's kind of where I'm at in my piano journey. Nice. You're well on your way. Yeah. Gotta try to get those uh, ledger lines down, man. It's a bitch. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, so Keys Case Mulder uh, asks, what's an album that you love to listen to, or excuse me, analyze, versus an album that you just love to listen to? The comparison there is, you know, really digging into it, dissecting it, listening to the podcast, finding out how it was made and stuff, versus like a great example of an album that's just vibe to it. Are there any of those for you, Janet? Do you like to know what went into making and how it work, how an album works? Sometimes. I kind of go on and off of it. Um, for a small period, me and my brother ran a hip-hop blog where we'd like really deep dive into all these records. Um, but that was a very small period <laughs> when I ran out of time. And then <laughs> I uh, am definitely a fan of, you know, Anthony Fantano's work on The Needle Drop. So I'll dip into his stuff, you know, see what my opinion is on an album. It's a joke about how people don't decide to <laughs> have their own opinions. But um, for me... I'm trying to think of an album I just like to vibe to. I, I do think like stuff that feels more inherently fun, I'm less inclined to analyze. Um, DaBaby comes to mind if I'm thinking of like artists. Um, his stuff's just, you know, for lack of a 
not using a pun like he makes a lot of bops and like i like to just vibe to it and don't necessarily mm. think of it too much um albums I like to analyze uh things that feel like they have a really um strong theme or thread driving them uh things that come to mind of recent history you know to my butterfly of course uh jay-z's 444 album was really fun as like a the weird like dive into family and infidelity and all of that it felt like a just such a cohesive piece and beyonce's lemonade though i like to both listen to and analyze both of those albums but i think those as a pairing are so interesting to dig into nice uh matt i don't know do you i know you learn how to play some of the music that you listen to but do you like to analyze any of it well i mean i I guess i have a podcast i do (laughs) Um, <laughs> no, but, uh, I mean, it, it sort of depends and I kind of like, I'm trying to think of an artist, like when it comes out, like Bob Dylan's new stuff, I always listen to and kind of maybe, you know, more analyze lyrics because that's just sort of like part of the thing with that. But in a weird mm-hmm. way, like more recently, I've kind of almost like tried to analyze stuff that normally would just sort of be stuff I would just sort of like, you know, bop to or whatever. Like I was really like into listening to like Motown records like just oldies, you know, Motown oh, yeah. stuff that I, you know, just sort of grew up hearing them on, you know, radio or like licensed in movies and stuff. But then it's like you really listen to them. It's like, wow, these songs sound simple, but like there's such a amazing amount of like cool just instrumentation and arrangements and and just like the level of detail and, and just how they put those records together. Mm-hmm. So you know, sometimes I think it's like it, it takes a lot of work to sound effortless, probably in music. You know what I mean? And I think, or even like a band of symbols like ACDC, I was listening to the record, but it's like, man, like it's just like one riff, but man, like the, these records sound so good. And I, so I always, I guess when I try to like record music, I always try to listen to music more from just like how it's structured, maybe more so than the songwriting, just like the record. Like, how did they make the record? How did they make it sound like mm. that? Like, what's the, the sonic kind of world that it, it, it generates? Um, so I've kind of been more into that, and lots of times I've been trying to listen to stuff like, you know, even to Baby or somebody like that, you know. Um, I was listening to some, you know, even rappers, I don't really like totally not my style. I was listening to some future stuff, which, you know, he's been really big for probably like 10 years now. And I don't know, Just it's just interesting to me to sort of like listen to records that, you normally, I think people just listen to in clubs or on the radio or just, you know, on, in, in shuffle and, and try to like un- analyze like why, why are they like, cause not every, you know, not every simple record is a hit, right? Not every simple record does well or every catchy record doesn't succeed. You know, why do certain ones succeed and others don't? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great distinction between how it was written and how it was made. Uh, one that I'll have to give more thought to as I'm listening. Um, our next question comes from Connor J. Tobin, who asks uh, if either of you have seen and have thoughts on Bo Burnham's Inside, the Netflix special that he recorded over quarantine. Um, I don't know if you if you're much into that brand, Matt. Uh, I have not, not seen it. I mean, it's getting a lot of like rave reviews and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little skeptical of him, but I I don't want to like say anything because I, I really don't know anything about him, and I'm skeptical of him for like no mm-hmm. reason in particular. Check check it out. It's uh, really solid. I think uh, Janet, have you gotten a chance? Yeah. To, do you have any, I, uh, any interest? Yeah, I, I watched it. I loved it. Uh, I'm obsessed with it because I'm a special brand of like creative and broken inside. I think it's what that 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 <laughs> special was for. Um, and you know, I don't want to. I think it's best to go in as as cold as possible with Bo Burnham's inside. So I don't want to give away too much. But 
especially as someone that like is you know a content creator on the internet and does gaming stuff on the internet and does all this other it, it hit a lot of different notes and i think it just mm-hmm. really shocked me because i've listened to bo burnham stuff before and um i've enjoyed it you know it's like comedy songs essentially if you're not familiar and i think if the idea of that is a little bit like cringy to you or you're it's not you're not a fan yeah, so comedy like, songs oh. is really like where i'm kind of like okay yeah like, like it's, it's like yeah <laughs> it's a special kind of uh, vibe, you know. Like, not it's it's kind of like how not everyone likes musicals. Like, I don't really like musicals; they almost always seem corny to me. I just can't get into it. Uh, still, check this out because I think it might surprise you. Um, yeah, and uh, and musically too, I think it was pretty fun. Um, something that I'm looking to do as some, you know, now that I'm playing piano, like I would like to make my own songs. And my so far, my artistic vision is to just make dumb songs. So I felt like very inspired. <laughs> buy it because i'm like wow he's taking stuff that's you know goofy and trite but actually adding some pretty cool instrumentation and some pretty cool presentation to these things and uh bo burnham's inside is another example of i think what's very much a concept album and i wasn't expecting that from someone who i don't know makes uh, uh, from his other work i didn't think it'd be such a cohesive thought to put out there but yeah it's real good yeah for sure yeah i agree um and i look forward to hearing whatever you are able to come up with over your course of learning uh music um, but for right now, I actually, I saw Kyle Hilliard, um, uh, Mingmax cohort and, uh, and general, generally a pretty cool guy. He was on one of our very first episodes about Ben Morrison and Blink-182. Go back to listen to that. Uh, I noticed that he was listening to this record, um, the songs from inside quite a bit on Spotify. So I asked him for his thoughts, which I'm going to paste in right here. Hey, Matt and Jason and mysterious from my perspective. Anyway, guest, I really liked Bo Burnham's Netflix special inside the album came out on Spotify shortly after, and I have found myself listening to it a lot. I think the, um, the the special, you know, is the best way to absorb it with all the visuals and watching Burnham actually play the piano. And there's so many other visual jokes in there. But I, I generally find Burnham's work to just be genuinely catchy and re-listening to the music outside of watching on the special, I think is genuinely rewarding. I, it's funny watching the special. I was laughing a lot. I really liked the Jeff Bezos bits where he sang these congratulatory songs to Jeff Bezos, but revisiting them on the album, those stand out to me as being so much funnier for some reason. I don't know why they make me laugh a lot more. Also that second track comedy about the sort of pointlessness of comedy and how it doesn't really help in any real way other than maybe making people feel better for a little bit. I just, I, that song gets stuck in my head so much that it's the one that I keep revisiting and listening to over and over and over. I think it's just a really good song. I like his sort of synthy direction that he took inside, which is different from his, you know, very piano focused uh, prior work, which makes sense because, you know, most of that prior work was done on stage. So he couldn't really do too many additional sounds and noises and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's rewarding to re-listen to it and, it's still very funny, and it's. I think it's just good music. Bo Burnham's a, a very talented guy, so give it a listen. That was very insightful, Kyle. Then our next question comes from Jeff Enright, who asks pretty broadly, uh, what band was very influential to you? I sort of parsed that into what band blew open your music tastes. Um, for me, I'll just to maybe give some form to the question, MF Doom has really broken open uh, the seal for me on rap oh, and okay. hip-hop. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Surreal Vasquez, again, was a former guest on this show in which we covered uh, two MF doom records to commemorate his passing. Uh, the passing of MF doom. That is not of Surreal Vasquez. He's still with us. Um, but do either of you have, you know, any of those like 
hit bands that really blew up in a whole genre for you or really opened your eyes or ears to the world of music? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple different, you know, touchstones here. And, you know, Blue Opens, that's debatable because I don't know how many, like, albums I, you know, dug into after the fact. But, like, Mm -hmm. artists that stand out to me, uh, Cafe de Cuba for, you know, Spanish music, Mexican music, um, which I listen to, like, a good amount of banda music. Not a lot of records, like, full-on records, but um, I really enjoy digging into that stuff. Um, Also, just anything from... Like the ja- like the jazz genre. My brother is uh, traditionally a jazz pianist, so he has a massive understanding of jazz music and had like a blog for a long time called the Jazz Loop. So like I was pretty in tune with a lot of those things. But even just digging into really old stuff like Chet Baker um, was like big. Uh, Miles Davis, I think too. Like um, Charles Mingus for sure. I got really into, I'm going to butcher this name, oh, Cicely McLaurin Salvant. Uh, she had this album called Dreams and Daggers that I absolutely love. Uh, again, tying into stuff we touched on earlier, lots of cheeky sexual songs on that record, fun songs on that record. Um, I adore it. And I think more recently, even though I have a huge background in games, obviously, I don't listen to a lot of video game music, but I think um, after playing Sayonara Wild Hearts, which is essentially a visual album that you can play, I just, you know, got into that album. Then since then, I've listened to Celeste soundtrack, and I've really grown to appreciate what it means to make a really good record in terms of a video game soundtrack. So those are some standout ones for me. Yeah, I guess excellent for me... Uh just from like young childhood was really uh, Led Zeppelin. You know, I was into like, I just heard a lot of classic rock and stuff, but something about them, they had such diverse kind of influences from like R&B to like blues, heavy rock, you know, English folk music, country. Um, They just had such a broad kind of range as a band that I think they just exposed me to a lot of things. Um, And I was really into them when I was a little kid. I got really into Led Zeppelin. Uh, And then this, we actually did this, band in this album on a previous episode with Alex Navarro, formerly of Giant Bomb, now of something I'm forgetting. What's their new thing? Um, but uh, Next slide. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Public Enemy. Uh, just, you know, I think not only musically, uh, just because they, they had this kind of style of hip-hop that was very, like, kind of noisy and, like, cacophonous, and it used a lot of just sirens and, like, static, and it was just very aggressive and kind of weird. And um, then also just, you know, they were just exposed me to a lot of like kind of, you know, stuff about black Panthers and like Bobby seal and Huey Newton and, and kind of that whole school of thought um, that I guess, you know, just growing up on a farm in Minnesota by Iowa, uh, I didn't really get exposed to. So I think they were just more Mm -hmm. influential, not only musically, but just uh, sort of expanded my worldview probably in general as a person. All right. Love when music can do that. Uh, our final question it comes from Jason Wojnar, who asks, after hearing a song, what's the longest you've gone without knowing who it's by or where it's from? Uh, generally, I'm going to let this question just be, what's a song that that happened to for you? Uh, Janet? Yeah, for me, the first, I don't know if this counts as an answer, but the first one is uh, Wild Horses, because I first heard that song <laughs> on um, Alicia Keys's, like she had, I'm trying to remember the name of the album. It's like a live, basically unplugged, almost situation. Um, where she performed a bunch of tracks. Uh, it was it actually was called Unplugged is the name of the album. And uh, a lot of it was hers, but some of it was covers like this song. And it until like maybe a few years ago when I heard like it came up, you know, on my Discover Weekly or whatever, uh, Rolling Stones, Wild Horses. I was like, wait a minute. 
okay, I know how math works. So according to math, this this is their song. And that's like just a weird moment of like, I didn't know that. And I remember telling my brother that I just like realized that. And he's like, really, you didn't know? I'm like, I had no, how would I have known? <laughs> there was nothing to base it on, you know? This was like, this was more when I was in, in middle school, you know, early internet. And I wasn't going to Google into it. Like, I don't know. So it was just like an odd, an odd time. And the weird thing too is I had listened to plenty of Rolling Stones before that, discovery as well so i just somehow we never cross paths on this one song damn how unlikely uh matt this one's actually a, a very long uh gestation period uh so back in the heyday and i don't know when janet was in chicago or or wherever but in the heyday of the bulls the michael jordan era bulls and i think they might even still use it but they have this like song when they like the you know the arena is all black and you know, they're going to like introduce the team and they'll come running out to the light show and stuff. It was just like really like kind of ominous, like cool, grand kind of like instrumental song. That oh, was it that, like, dun, 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 that, that kind of, I know it sounds like a phone did, did, ringtone, but you well, know, it, it has like this that. kind of like chiming piano repeated thing. It's like, dum, bum. yeah, it kind of comes in like what, yep. Yeah. I know exactly so what you're talking the, about. This year I was like, and it was always real super dramatic, like super over the top, like very like kind of, you know, 2001 space out it, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and I actually never thought about even what it was until I was watching The Last Dance, which was last year over quarantine was the Michael Jordan documentary that a lot of people were really into. And I was finally like, I hadn't thought of that song forever until I saw it in the doc. And it turns out it's called Sirius, like Sirius XM. Sirius by Alan Parsons Project, the uh, 70s kind of prog rock band that was sort of a offshoot of like Pink Floyd's engineer. But it's a killer song, Sirius. But if you ever just want to feel like you're you know, on some kind of dramatic mission from God, I would recommend that song. Or if you're Michael Jordan. Yes. <laughs> or if you're Michael Jordan. He, he's a, he listens. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Uh, excellent. Well, our community uh, song for this week um, comes from a question asker, Keys K. Smolder, who asked the question about albums you analyze versus albums you just kind of vibe to. This is Loose Change uh, by The Alchemist featuring Earl Sweatshirt. Have, you, have either of you had the chance to give this one a listen? I did. I'm a big Alchemist fan. Like, he's... Like, as far as rap I like now, he's just very involved in that kind of, like, Boldy James, you know, Freddie Gibbs, Griselda, Action Bronson, you know, Earl. Like, he's just an awesome producer. So I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of his work overall. Yeah, I also checked it out. And uh, maybe we want to listen to more. Excellent. Well, uh, we're going to play it over our outro as we go out, but I will let uh, Matt take up the slack on that. Yes. Well, hey, number one, Janet. Thanks so much for being here. This is really awesome discussion. It was so much fun to, to have a chance to, to kind of hang out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. And we also thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear and you uh, you know want to support MinMax, support what we're doing here, support uh, you know what Janet and everyone else is doing on the, the video game content side, please go to patreon.com slash M-I-N-N-M-A-X, MinMax. And we, you know, any level, we, we definitely appreciate the support. And we will see you in a couple weeks. Speak for the org, past the preacher. Smash a weed on the organ, master teachers. Actually couldn't hold me. I was hungry. Mama made a son read. So I'm hunting, glancing still a peak. That still didn't feed me. I had to get a feel for the whole thing. Peek in the orbs. Speak on what I absorb, observe boundaries. I found a different route to explore and run around deep. I told you about the reach. You fell down the screen. That sounded me like a loss. I had a bad bout with grief and I tossed a match on the kerosene. Burn the ring down to ashes and memories. 
feather feet behind and ahead of the beat, throwing them off, arriving in the nick of time. These niggas nickel and diamond, I'm giving them five and sliding my way up the street. Pretty penny, you my luckiest find. Skin copper, titties bouncing, save a generous slice for me. Please save a generous slice for me. Change jingling in my pocket. These niggas nickel and diamond. I'm giving them five pretty penny. You my luckiest find. Skin copper, titties bouncing. Save a generous slice for me. Please.